You're listening to the Light for Living podcast, featuring the sermons of Emmanuel Baptist Church in El Dorado, Arkansas, where Dr. Clark Whitney serves as senior pastor. Join us for verse-by-verse messages through the life-changing Word of God. Along the way, we'll also feature devotional thoughts, Bible studies, and interviews, all designed to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I invite you to take it out and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, one of the great passages in all the Bible. And we are finishing up our series today, and some of you may say amen to that, Summer Road Trip. In the last few weeks, we have been looking at the analogy, the the image of a road trip and your life living for God. We've talked last week about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and how God has a wonderful plan for your life, for you to trust in Him, for you to acknowledge Him. And this week, I want to have a message uh, to you from Hebrews 11, and I really want to talk about the journey, because the Christian life is bookended by two miracles. The first miracle comes when you and I are born again, when we experience the new birth, When we go from death to life, when our sin gets forgiven by the blood of Jesus and we get a new identity, that is a miracle. Amen? Amen. And the Christian life is also bookended on the back end by a miracle. That we know that at the moment of our death, it will not be the end. It will just be a doorway into everlasting life. That's a miracle. The Bible teaches us both of these miracles when it says a man must be born again. And it also says that to, from, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we have these miracles in the, the bookends of the Christian life. But if you're like me, I'm being honest, we struggle with the in-between. We struggle with the road trip, on the journey on the way home. In different seasons of life, I've traveled more than others. I'm very glad for this season that I'm home, of course, with you and with my wife and children. And, and I get to spend time just settled down. But there's been seasons of my life that we've flown quite a bit. Uh, For example, in 2020, when we lived in Georgia, our little son, who was not even a year old at the time, flew 12 times in 2020. That is a a very interesting experience, flying with a newborn, especially during COVID. And we would always fly through Atlanta, Hartsfield-Jackson Airport. If you ever know uh, you're going to fly anywhere, you've got to fly through Atlanta. In fact, if you go to heaven, one day you'll go through Atlanta. And so I look, and I really enjoy people watching at the airport. It's one of my favorite pastimes. You're waiting on your flight to board, and you look, and you kind of spot people, and you try to think, where is that person heading? Are they going on a business trip, or are they on vacation? Are they going to see relatives? And then I'll walk by the gates on the way to my gate, and I'll see all these exotic and fancy locations that other people are getting to travel to. Cancun. Walk by, see a group going to the Bahamas. Uh, Maybe see another go to Fiji. And then here I am going to Little Rock. (laughs) But there's no feeling in the world like going home. Uh, There's no place like home. After we get to the end of a long trip, it feels good to lay our head on our own pillow at home. Uh, For the believer, this world is not our home. The Bible says that we're aliens and strangers. We're pilgrims traveling through this fleeting and momentary and temporary life to an eternal home with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
a home that is greater than what you and I could ever imagine. And we look forward to that home, but how do we live while we're on the way home? Billy Graham once said, my home is in heaven. I'm just passing through this world. Let's begin reading in Hebrews 11, verse 1. The Word of God says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that were visible. Skip to verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for his household, for the saving of his household. And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, as he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of the heavens, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand, grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you that when we are weak, you are strong. When we are faithless, you are faithful. We ask that we would decrease and you would increase. In Jesus' name, amen. I read an interesting article yesterday about a person who uh, was on the internet and they had way too much time on their hands. This person is known on Reddit as the user CB23000. And they got a little bored, I would imagine, because they went on Google Maps and they charted out the longest road in the entire world. They, they mapped a point from South Africa all the way to Russia that you could travel by foot if you wanted to. You would not have to get on a boat or a ferry. It was all roads and bridges. This road would take you 187 days to walk nonstop. It is 14,000 miles. Uh, if you walked for eight hours a day, it would take you over 500 days. It goes from Cape Town, South Africa, to Magadan, Russia. Along the way, it goes up through Africa, past the Suez Canal, through Turkey, Central Asia, across Siberia, and all the way into Russia. 
That would be a long trip for you to go on. Some of y'all feel like that was the sermon series. You're, it's so long, you're just ready for it to be over. But the life of faith seems like it's a journey that, that sometimes feels very long, at least for Abraham it did. Uh, a journey that takes patience, a journey that takes faith, and a journey that takes obedience. I want to ask the question this morning, how are you and I supposed to live while we're on the way home? When we encounter the difficulties and discouragement and all the things in life that we encounter that, that brings us down and gets us depressed, how are we supposed to keep pressing on while we're on the way home? Well, first of all, we live faithfully. We live faithfully. How do we have faith in between? Well, the Bible defines faith in verse 1. It says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is seeing the invisible. Faith is believing the impossible. Faith is putting your trust into someone who is trustworthy. When you and I have faith in God, we're putting our trust completely in Him. Uh, true trust, as we said last week, is total trust. True faith is total faith, and we must admit, sometimes it's hard for us to have that faith when we can't see a way out. When our situation feels so discouraging that we feel like there is no end in sight. But the Bible says that, that faith is the assurance. That, that it's something that assures our hearts when we're troubled, when we have so many cares around us. And it says it's the things hoped for. When the Bible talks about hope, especially hope in God, it's not talking about hope in the way that you and I say, uh, well, I hope the Razorbacks have a good season. Or I hope a cold front comes through between now and November. Uh, we hope for things that may not happen. But in the Bible, when it talks about hoping in God, you're hoping in something that will happen. And faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and it's the conviction of things not seen. It's having a settled conviction in your heart that even though you can't see it, God is working in your life, that he is faithful to do what he has promised to do. That God is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can do. William Carey, one of the great missionaries, he said this, and he encountered a lot of discouragement. You study his life, uh, just so many things that would get him off track from his mission to share the gospel with unreached people. But he wrote this, the future is as bright as the promises of God. In the hard times, in the times where it seems so dark and there's no door out, you can have a trust in God and his promises. You can have an anticipation. Uh, the Bible draws on this faith in verse 2, an evidence from believers. Look in verse 2. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. We have an example in the Bible. In fact, Hebrews 11 is known as the hall of faith. Not the hall of fame, but the hall of faith. And it goes through examples in the Bible of ordinary and fallen people just like you and me, but people who had strong faith in God. And the evidence of their life and the evidence of their story gives us confidence in God. Verse 3 gives us evidence not just from believers, those who have gone before us, but from creation. Simply looking around and seeing how awesome God is, how creative he is. And you look in verse 3, it says, By faith we understand the whole universe was created by the word of God. That this universe didn't happen by chance. It wasn't an accident. 
that all the billions of stars in the sky were spoken into existence by Almighty God. And this Word of God was the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. This Jesus, the one who spoke it all, who was in the beginning with God, and he was nailed to the cross for our sin, and we put our faith in him. That is real faith when we can put our faith in the one who made it all. And so if God created the universe, if he numbered every star in the sky, and he knows all the hairs on your head, don't you think he cares for you? Don't you think that he, he knows what you're going through? Don't you think that he can give you his strength in your weakness? So we must live faithfully, trusting, but we must also live faithfully. We have faith in God and we trust in him, but we must also be full of that faith. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it costs us, we must obey God. Second thing I want you to see today is that if we are living right on the way home, we will live differently. Live differently. In 1911, I didn't know the company went back this far, but you are familiar probably with the massive computer company, IBM. And since 1911, they have used one word as their slogan. It's simply this word, think. Well, in 1997, Apple Computer, one of the largest companies in the world now, was in a really low spot. Their founder, Steve Jobs, they had, uh, he was in exile. He was not in charge of the company anymore. And it got so bad, and, and they had so many failed products and different problems and all these things to iron out that they brought Steve Jobs back in to straighten it out. The one who started Apple was Steve Wozniak. If you can tell, I like Apple computers. We have an ongoing thing with our tech guys who are, are Microsoft. But anyways, the point of the story is this. Instead of IBM's phrase, think, Apple unveiled a brand new ad campaign. And their phrase was this, think different. Think different. If you and I want to live for God, we don't just live. We must live different. Look in verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Adrian Rogers said, if you displease God, it doesn't matter who you please. But if you please God... It does not matter who you displease. I don't know about you, but I know me. I spend too much time trying to please people. I spend too much time worried about what the world thinks about me. And when we think about other people and we try to make other people happy instead of making God happy, we waste a lot of time. We cause a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, a lot of fear when we ought to be pleasing God. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. No amount of good works that you can do or, or, or talent or ability or things that you can try to do for God on your own will please him. But by faith, you can please God. And if you please him, it doesn't matter who you displease. Too many times we're worried about what everybody else thinks about us. The truth is, no one is really thinking about us. And so we spend time thinking about people who aren't really thinking about us to begin with. They're thinking about them. And we ought to be thinking about the person who really is thinking about us. Because in Psalm 139 it says that God's thoughts are precious about us. And they're innumerable. And so we ought to be trying to please the one who's always thinking and caring about us. Rather than people who really don't care. We ought to be living for an audience of one. 
Look at the back end of the verse. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God's working in your life. You're seeking him. The Bible says you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you have a life full of faith, you're trying to please God all your heart, you'll find him. You'll see him at work in your life. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Verse 7 gives us an illustration of somebody who certainly lived differently. Noah, by faith, Noah, being warned by God, concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Remember, there was no flood at this time. All, all the men and women on earth were wicked. And God came to Noah and said, I want you to build a massive ark. And so for years he built it and endured undoubtedly the ridicule and the embarrassment of obeying God. And everybody thought he was absolutely crazy because he did what God told him to do. And it says, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Noah pleased God. He displeased everyone else. And it was counted to him for righteousness. Not only do we live differently, we must live obediently. If you set out to live for God, undoubtedly your life will look different as you obey him. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Perhaps you're not familiar with the Bible and I'm glad you're here. Uh, I hope that you will grow in your knowledge of the Bible because the Bible can change your life. But the Bible begins all the way back in Genesis with a story of a man named Abram. And he lived in a, a, a land called Ur. It, it was a place that was wicked. It was pagan. They worshipped a moon god that they called Sin. There was even a temple to the moon god there. And it was a prosperous city. And this was uh, at the beginning of the whole story, okay? And God called this man Abram and changed his name to Abraham and said that, that I'm going to give you more descendants than than the grains of sand on the seashore. All the stars in the sky could not even be counted compared to the descendants I'm going to give you. And I'm going to bless the whole earth through your descendants. And so Abraham was called out from this, this wicked pagan land to the wilderness when he was 70 years old. This journey, this road trip, eventually led Abraham to the promised land. And this is very interesting because it cost Abraham something. This, this older man, he couldn't really see what God was doing. But in that time, your family would live very close together. You would not live in a different town as your family. For him to leave his family was very costly. It cost him to be obedient to God. You didn't just move hundreds of miles away, much less to the wilderness. But he obeyed God, not even counting his own home place or even his own family, more important than following God. What trust Abraham must have had in God. What faith he must have had, even when he couldn't see it. To leave all he knew to follow him, to be obedient to him. And the Bible says that he went out not knowing where he was going. You ever feel like you're not knowing where God's taking you? Verse 9, by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Obedience, my friends, will always cost us something. If you set out to live for God, set out to follow Jesus in your life, it may cost you a friendship. It may cost you a job. It may cost you popularity or reputation. It may even cost you one day even your own life. But the cost is worth it to follow him. 
Even when you don't know where you're going, you know you're going home, but you don't know how you're going to get there. Our Savior told us to take up our cross and follow him. We can live in this obedience to God because he gives us the strength to obey. When we put our faith in him, he starts doing a work in us. And he trades our weakness for his strength. And all of a sudden, the things that you and I can't do, we can do because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. All these things that, that we, these habits we can't get rid of, these, these words we wish we would stop saying, or these tempers we thought we would uh, just never be able to get a hold of, all these things start coming under the lordship of Jesus, and he changes us as we obey him. But we can't obey him until you hear his voice. I want to ask you this morning, when's the last time you heard the voice of God? When's the last time you opened up his word and, and spent time with him and asked him to speak to you and allowed him to minister to your heart and to give you direction and guidance for the situation that you're in? You can't obey something that you don't hear. We must hear from God. So I'd encourage you today, you go home, get down on your knees and ask him, God, what do you want in my life? How do I need to obey you next? Uh, maybe it's crossing the street and, and going to a neighbor and inviting them to church or telling them about your faith. Maybe it's starting a new ministry. Maybe it's reconciliation with a brother or sister that you've been estranged from for a long time. But I promise you this, if you get on your knees and you repent of your sin and you ask God to show you the next step, he'll show it to you. Not only that, he'll give you the strength to do it. So they were living in tents. Can you imagine they went from their home, if you and I lived in tents moving around, there was no foundation to a tent. They would pick it up, move it to the next place. Pick it up, move it to the next place. But verse 10 says that while they were living in the tents, Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was looking past his, his earthly setup to his heavenly home. The one who had, had created it was God. It had a foundation. It was designed and built by God. He looked past the earthly life into the eternal life. When we were newly married, Aaron and I lived in seminary housing. In fact, we have some friends here today, I'll introduce at the end of the service, that, that went to seminary with us and lived in the same apartment complex. And uh, we, at first, you know, your first place when you get married, you think it's a mansion. And we were in a little two-bedroom apartment, and it was to us a mansion. We were so happy. It was our love nest. And, and after a year or two, that love nest got a little cramped. And we realized that we had more stuff than we really needed. And we should have just got rid of the stuff. Uh, but about that time, God called us to our first full-time ministry assignment in Siloam Springs, Arkansas. And we were so thrilled and happy. And we were so excited for the next chapter. And God provided for us. He showed us a little house that was being built right around the corner from our church. It wasn't much. It was about 1,300 square feet, but it was a nice house. To us, it was high living. Because you see this builder, he, he, he was building it as a spec house, but he had a little flair, and his wife did too, for making it extra special. And so this wasn't just an ordinary starter home. He, he put the luxury vinyl tile down, and it had some granite countertops, some high ceilings, and we thought we were living high off the hog. I won't tell you our mortgage, but it was in the hundreds of dollars. Those were the good old days, amen? And we thought we were living large, but while we were waiting on the home to be finished, he would send us pictures of the home. He would show us all the, the things that he was doing. In fact, he was so nice, we bought a, a porch swing, and he hung it up for us. 
all the attention to detail, we look forward to the home. Abraham and the believer on their journey home looks forward to a home that is far greater than this cramped, crooked old world. And he looked forward to that home. Not only had God promised it, he also promised Abraham that he would be a father of many nations. Look in verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received the power to conceive. Now remember, Sarah was 90 years old when she conceived. And God had given Abraham this present, this promise that his descendants would be more than the grains of sand on the shore or the stars in the sky. And in verse 11, the faith of Sarah is what gave her the power to conceive. It was the object of her faith. It wasn't a name it and claim it. God had already promised it. She believed God's promise. He gave the power to do it. It was the object of her faith. Verse 12, therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many of the stars of the heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So faith and obedience go hand in hand. If you have faith in God, you'll obey him. If you obey him, you'll have more faith. Faith and obedience really reject fear in our lives. You can't be full of faith and full of fear at the same time. Yes, you can be nervous and maybe even a little worried, but when you take those things to God, here's what happened. God turns your eyes of fear to eyes of faith. The eyes of fear say, seeing is believing. The eyes of faith say, believing is seeing. The eyes of fear say, how can it happen? The eyes of faith say, how will it happen? The eyes of fear look backward, but the eyes of faith look forward. Last thing I want you to see today as you look forward to your heavenly home is we live victoriously. We live victoriously. As we have faith and we live differently and we're obedient, we live an overcoming life. I've always been interested in the story of Winston Churchill. I think he was one of the greatest to ever live in the 20th century because he saved Western civilization pretty much. And I read the account of his funeral this week in 1965, and they had planned this funeral for years. You know how the British are with all of their traditions and all of their little stuffy ways, okay? If you're British, it's okay this morning. If you're watching online, it's okay. That's just how you are. <laughs> and they had all, you know, the royal, you've seen the coronation, you've seen how, how formal it is, okay? In Churchill, they had a very formal, in fact, it, it was one of the only uh, well, it, it had a lot of royal elements to it. I'll say that for a civilian. And there was tens of thousands, in fact, over 100,000 that, that went by his casket. It was a full day affair. All the ceremonies and all of uh, everything you can possibly imagine. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But at the end of that day, which must have been exhausting for Churchill's family, after they had had the private burial, his wife Clementine turned to his daughter, Mary, and said, you know what, Mary? This was not so much a funeral as it was a triumph. Not so much a funeral as it was a triumph. I don't know about you, but if I walked off the stage today and dropped dead, today would be my day of greatest victory. You would call young, so you'd have a, I hope you get me a nice casket, but I wouldn't be in that casket. I would be more alive than I would ever have been before because I live a victorious life. Faith enables us to put our confidence in God that not only through the difficulties of life, but at our final destination, we have hope that he will guide us home. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And faith is the victory. The Bible says, thanks be to God who gives us right now, even now, the victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. I love the hymn, Faith is the Victory that Overcomes the World. You and I can rise above our circumstances, the chaos around us, the, the besetting sins in our life, the things that we struggle with. We can rise above as we obey Him. He gives us strength, but we have a victorious life even in the here and now. We have a victorious life first with patience. Look in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. It's interesting that these people had been promised something by God that they never got. Yet they still believed God could fulfill his promise. Even though Abraham didn't live to see the fulfillment that in his descendants, Jesus Christ would come and bless all the peoples of the world. Uh, even though Noah couldn't see the, the impact of his example on countless people through the ages. And, and all the examples in the scripture, they couldn't see the end result, yet they believed and they patiently waited. We live most victoriously when we wait patiently on God. When we wait on His timing, when, when we seek Him first, and it, what He's going to do and allow Him to do it His way, we live a victorious life. And sometimes our circumstances don't change so much as our hearts. And as we seek Him, the patience produces character in us. The patience produces more and more things in our lives that look like Jesus and less and less like ourselves. Back half of 13, having acknowledged that, they were strangers and exiles on this earth. I'll tell you this morning, you won't get to see the, the eye of promise. You won't get to live victoriously until you acknowledge that this world is not your home. As long as you find your ultimate satisfaction in the things that this world say will satisfy you, you will never live victoriously. If you put your hope in your wealth or your family or your job or your talents, all of those things one day will pass away. But when you put your ultimate trust in God, you find an eternal satisfaction in Him. He gives you the eyes of faith to see the promise in the distance. That brings me to the next point with focus. They had the eyes fixed on eternity. Verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. They were looking to heaven, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. They had a fixed focus on what was ahead of them, forgetting what lies behind, leaving the yesterday in the past, but looking forward to the future. When you say yes to God's plan, there can be no looking back. You can't go back to the way you were before. You look forward. In other words, we obey with our focus. Last point, not only with patience, not only with focus, but with the desire. What's the desire of your heart this morning? Well, their desire in verse 16 tells us it was a better country. That is a heavenly one. Something that was better than the, the earth that you and I live on. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. At the end of Revelation, we get a glimpse into that city. It is an eternal city where God will dwell with you and me. If you know Jesus, you will live with the one who made you for eternity. And not only that, the Bible says in Revelation that this heavenly city, called the New Jerusalem, where God dwells with man, there will be no more pain, nor sorrow, nor suffering, nor crying, nor even death, because all the former things have passed away. 
Wouldn't you love to live in a place where death was no more? There was no sickness. There was no cancer. There were no prodigal children. There were no family conflicts. There was no divorce. There was no economic depression. Wouldn't you love to live in a place that's perfect because it's built by a perfect person? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It's grace that's brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Thank you for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. We hope you'll tune back in next time to the Light for Living podcast.